0: Let's do it.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sickle Cell Podcast. I'm Cass and today I'm flying solo. Well, not completely solo. We have our very own Dr. Carollo, or Dr. Q, as you guys may know, answering my questions and talking all about blood transfusions. Dr. Q, tell us a little bit about yourself and why sickle cell?
0: I got interested in medicine a long time ago, about 40 plus years ago. While I was going to college, I was a nursing assistant in a small hospital over Marin County. And that helped me pay for college. And then after I finished a degree, I decided that I wanted to be a nurse. So I went to UCSF nursing school and I was a nurse for about 10 years. While I was a nurse, somebody thought that I was really into medicine, so they recommended I go to medical school, and that was when I was about Mm -hmm. 30. And so I went to medical school, came back, and did my residency at Children's and had a private practice for about 10 years. And I still worked in the emergency room because I'm from Oakland, and I just felt like I should be giving back something. Mm -hmm. And when the opportunity came to work in the sickle cell program at Children's, I took it. I actually got hired as the sickle cell pediatrician. And so I did that for about 20 years and now I'm retired.
1: Wow. It's crazy because a lot of people say sickle cell finds them. You don't Mm. really choose sickle cell. Sickle cell chooses you. And so it's kind of funny how those things work out because you just have like this passion for sickle cell and sickle cell patients. And Mm. it's like you're the perfect match somehow. So it's good to know how you got started.
0: I think I, I really wanted to take care of people with sickle cell disease, but I didn't really appreciate how much I'd love it until I'd been doing it for mm. for a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Oh.
1: So as you know, we are here to talk about blood transfusions. Um, I'm really happy we're talking about this because in one of our, our previous conversations, we have a lot of interesting conversations and I always like try <laughs> and ask Dr. Q, like everything I have as a sickle cell patient, because I like to be informed as a patient, and he just happens to know everything. And so we were talking about blood transfusions and, you know, antibodies, and we wanted to get together and record this so that sickle cell patients have access to this important information. So, why don't we just go ahead and jump right into it? So we know that there's very limited treatment options for sickle cell disease, and one of those treatment options available are blood transfusions. So what is a blood transfusion, and why is it suggested as a treatment option for sickle cell disease?
0: There are actually two different ways to do a blood transfusion. You can either get what's called a simple transfusion, where you just get an intravenous line and you get blood delivered. And that dilutes out the sickle cells with normal blood, so it decreases the symptoms um mm-hmm. There's some limit to that because you can't give a lot of blood because you don't want to give too much to the patient. um You can also replace red blood cells, so in that situation, you're removing red blood cells, the sickle cells and if all sickle cells, if you are just in an emergent situation or if you're chronically transfused, you remove the cells that were previously transfused plus the cells that you made during that uh, month.
1: So you like really just deplete the body of blood you, you, in
0: it. Yeah, that? And yeah then- you, you do it, at, it's on a machine. You can do it both at the same time. Okay. So while the, the machine is programmed to remove the same amount of red blood cells as it puts in, so you're never like losing red blood cells. You I can see. also have that done manually like a nurse can use a syringe to remove cells usually they remove not quite a unit maybe 100 cc's at a time and then replace it so you don't get dizzy or whatever you always have you know you don't remove too much that takes a little bit longer yeah and actually this i've seen more symptoms in people getting a manual transfusion than an exchange transfusion
1: Okay. I know I definitely had a a manual transfusion as I was telling you on my trip to Nigeria. They didn't have one of those fancy machines at the hospital that I was at. And so they had Mm -hmm. these huge syringes and they like extracted the blood and kind of, they did have a machine to transfuse me. So they would just.
0: It sounds like they were giving you a transfusion with the regular IV machine and then taking, did you have one IV or two?
1: I don't remember having so long ago. You can
0: do it with one or two. It's very okay. time-consuming. It is. It took it's a long really time. So a, a regular apheresis treat. that's the other thing that people like with the blood exchange is that a regular blood can't transfusion can take three or four hours, but an exchange transfusion, because the machine is doing and it, it's removing blood and giving you blood at the same time, it takes about an hour, hour and a half.
1: Oh, so, so it's so much,
0: so much, much shorter, okay. much faster. Usually, they give you calcium during the transfusion so you don't have any side effects of having that much blood move back and And forth. And what does the
1: calcium do?
0: Well, in order to anticoagulate the blood in the machine, so you think about it, they're putting all the blood product through a machine. um, It could clot. Okay, So within the machine. Within the machine. So they add a chemical called citrate. that blocks the clotting cascade and the blood that's being transfused. But you get some of that citrate and it binds up the, the calcium in your body. So they're testing the calcium in your blood and adding more calcium so you don't have any symptoms.
1: I see. Okay.
0: So that's one of the major symptoms of having an exchange would be if you didn't get calcium, you could have a low calcium.
1: okay so it's like replenishing yeah
0: okay got it some people will give tums tums has calcium okay and so it's they will just give you a couple of tums before and maybe one during the transfusion the other thing with apheresis you can lower the sickle cells much lower generally speaking with a simple transfusion after the transfusion you're Red cell count your sickle cell count may or your sickle cell hemoglobin will maybe be maybe like thirty percent or maybe a little bit less, but with an exchange transfusion, you can take that down to ten percent
1: oh wow it just
0: depends on how much blood you use at some point you're you know you're giving blood and you're not changing the percent too much, but it's very common for the blood sickle cell uh hemoglobin to be like. Ten percent following an exchange. So,
1: me as a patient, I have about thirty percent of sickle cells well, within you, my body. No, you if you
0: if you come in with say acute chest syndrome, pneumonia, and so sickle cell, you have, and you're not taking hydroxyurea, mm-hmm. then you probably have about ninety five to ninety eight percent sickle cell wow. hemoglobin, and say your hemoglobin is about six. So you can increase the hemoglobin to about 11 safely in people with sickle cell disease, so that halves your sickle hemoglobin. So if you came in with 98% sickle hemoglobin, you got a simple transfusion and your hemoglobin was 6 to start, then your sickle hemoglobin at the end of that transfusion would be about 50%. I
1: see.
0: And so if there was an acute emergency and you had... Uh, pneumonia, acute chest syndrome, then what we might do is give you a simple transfusion to get your hemoglobin down to 50%, and then we would do an exchange transfusion and make your hemoglobin Uh, sickle hemoglobin down to 10 percent okay the reason is is if you're doing an exchange transfusion and you start off with a low hemoglobin Mm -hmm. there's a lot more fluid shifts and it's a little more dangerous to do it with a really low hemoglobin as a start so usually we just give you blood to begin with okay which reduces your hemoglobin or your sickle hemoglobin makes your total hemoglobin higher so you feel better and then we do the exchange
1: i guess that's why um some patients, you know, say they immediately say like they feel like energy oh, right yeah. after they get. I personally feel kind of weird. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel weird the first day or when I'm getting it. And then like, you know, a few days later, that's when I start to feel better and I feel the energy and
0: A lot of people say that like right after the transfusion sometimes even after an exchange they just won't feel good for the first day or so and then the second day they feel much better. When you add that much volume in a simple transfusion you're sort of fluid overloaded and that could Uh, give you a headache and just make you feel kind of weird Yeah. Um, and after an exchange transfusion because there are so many fluid shifts blood going in and out and it does increase your hemoglobin as well you might not feel great that day, but you'd feel much, much better the next day.
1: This is the second time you mentioned fluid shifts. What does that
0: mean? So what happens is you have to think about it. If you have sickle cell disease and your hemoglobin is 6, your blood pressure is, actually with sickle cell have low blood pressures, relatively speaking, but your blood pressure is normal for you, and you're making albumin, a protein in your blood, to make sure that the volume of your blood that's going through your heart, the volume of blood your heart is pumping, is pretty normal. So when you add any kind of fluid like normal saline or a red cell transfusion, really you're kind of fluid overloading the I person. See. You're giving them more fluid than their circulation can really hold. And that's why it takes four hours to get a simple transfusion because you're letting that all that fluid uh, equilibrate during the transfusion. Uh, but with an exchange, you're taking blood out. So yeah. the total amount of... It's increased, but the total amount isn't as dramatic as if you get a a simple transfusion. That can also happen if you're getting normal saline. So if if you go to an emergency room and they're saying, oh, this person has sickle cell disease and they're having pain, we'll just give them five liters of normal saline or three or whatever, They might not realize it, but they're really fluid overloading you. And sometimes all that fluid will go into your lungs. That can be
1: dangerous. It's
0: very dangerous, and then they they have to give you a diuretic to get rid of it.
1: Okay. That's probably
0: the most common thing that happens in emergency rooms, is Is they get get too much fluid when someone comes in.
1: Wow.
0: And that can happen during a blood transfusion. That's why you don't transfuse people with sickle cell disease over a hemoglobin of about 11 or so because then my hemoglobin is probably about 14 or 15. If you did that with a person with sickle cell disease, it'd be really fluid overload and there's actually an increased incidence of stroke in people because of viscosity of the blood and it does increase your blood pressure as well.
1: Mm, It's good stuff. Yeah, I always wondered why it took like, three or four hours to get, right. like, a unit or two of blood. I'm like, why is it so... I've seen those machines can go faster right. <laughs> than, than they do. But, no, that that's great to know.
0: So yeah. usually when they give a blood transfusion, they start off really slow mm-hmm. because they want to make sure you're not going to have a reaction to the blood. And they should actually slow it down each time they change the unit. Mm -hmm. And then once they realize everything's fine and you're not having an acute reaction, then they speed it up. Okay. Okay. Huh.
1: It's always great, I guess, as a patient to know what our options are. Mm -hmm. So I guess that leads me into asking what are the benefits and disadvantages of getting transfused?
0: So, the benefits are pretty dramatic. If you have acute chest syndrome and uh, you get a simple blood transfusion or an exchange, you feel much better pretty quick, at least in a day or two. And with a simple transfusion, if you're having a lot of hemolysis, you may need, or even an exchange, you may need more than one. That's the benefit, is reducing the level of sickle cells. So your circulation is better and you decrease the sickle cells. The risks, well, the, another benefit would be with chronic transfusion. So if you have a child who has an abnormal transcranial Doppler, it's really high, that's an indication that child is at risk for stroke. 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 Yeah. Then if you start that young child well, on chronic. chronic blood transfusions, they're not going to have a stroke.
1: Okay, um exactly. the
0: stroke is dramatically decreased it 's not zero, but it 's very much decreased like about ninety percent or, or more so that 's a, a big advantage for chronic transfusions also, if you have some other comorbidity with sickle cell disease um, you 're in heart failure you 're in kidney failure, so you 're not making very much hemoglobin then sometimes uh, exchange or simple transfusions are helpful. People who have um we transfuse people who had organ transplants, so if you've had a kidney transplant, you don't want to have sickle cell blood damaging that transplant, so those some of those people were on exchange transfusions. Okay. Some of the disadvantages are very common and some of them are rare. So a common one would be like a rash or isching with a transfusion or maybe even a fever. Um, rarely which is extremely rarely although everybody gets told about this would be an infection with the virus so Donors for sickle cell are sort of donors who have donated many, many times in the past. And so the blood for sickle cell disease on that level is safer. Even so, every blood transfusion is tested with DNA to make sure there's no infective virus in there. There's still a risk. So for some viruses, the risk is about 1 in 250,000 or 500,000, and for things like HIV, the risk may be like one in a million or even okay. more. So, so chances the are pretty slim. They're pretty slim. If you've calculated out, so if I'm getting a blood transfusion every month and that's like, well, say maybe 24 units a year, mm-hmm. how many years would you have to get transfused before you got 250,000 blood transfusions? Oh, wow. Not in your lifetime, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I personally have never seen HIV, I'm sure it happens in a patient with sickle cell disease and maybe hepatitis C back in the day 20 years ago.
1: Not um, today though. Not,
0: not, not nowadays. I haven't seen any infections recently. So other disadvantages, one of them that's common in sickle cell disease more than other people is you can actually have immune reactions to blood because you think about it, you're getting blood from another person. Um, if the blood is not phenotyped, you could make antibodies against that blood. You can either have phenotyping or genotyping. And the difference is phenotyping, they actually use serum. And they're looking at your red blood cells in a test tube to determine what are the proteins or the antigens on your red blood cells. And in your serum, do you have any antibodies against red blood cell Antigens that would be on the outside of the red blood cells. So that's phenotyping. And that's sort of the tried and true mm-hmm. method that people have been using for decades for uh, people with sickle cell disease. But you can also do genotyping, mm-hmm. which means you're looking at the DNA. So mm-hmm. if you want to know really what are all the possible antigens that a person could have on their red blood cells, you'd do genotyping.
1: But this is something you would do like just once um, a patient might do a genotyping right. just once so that they know what antigens they can right they could possibly
0: make so make. so okay. all people with sickle cell disease when they're infants and they their first blood draw for a CBC or whatever we always do a phenotype or a genotype before they ever get a blood transfusion so then okay. we know Ahead of time, if they come in, the blood bank has a record of what type of blood that they need to be giving them, what antigens need to be missing on the blood. So that's done right away. I think they're doing it in some blood banks where they're actually doing genotyping on the donors. So then they can match Mm. the donors with the recipients. That's going to happen more in the future for sickle cell because the RH antigens and sickle cell disease are much more complicated than they are in anyone else. And the only way you can know which is the right RH antigen is through genotyping. It doesn't always work when you do phenotyping. So,
1: it's too, can too you, complex. Okay, you said a lot of words. Um, <laughs> what is an antigen,
0: for example? So an antigen is like if you ate peanuts, mm-hmm. um, that's an antigen. So the peanut protein is an antigen. And the first time you ate peanuts, probably nothing would happen. But if you were going to be allergic, so the first time you would make antibodies against the peanut proteins, but nothing would really happen. The next time you ate peanuts, your body would already be primed to make a lot of antibodies against peanuts. And that's when you'd have an anaphylactic reaction or you'd need to you'd get epipin or something like that.
1: That's if you're allergic.
0: If you're allergic. So antigens are proteins that you can make antibodies against, and the antibodies will create an immune reaction.
1: So your body gets something that's kind of unfamiliar, and antibodies or antigens are what your body produces to counter that.
0: Antigens.
1: Antigens.
0: Mm -hmm. or antibodies are what your body produces against antigens Antigens. foreign antigens you think about it you're getting somebody else's blood so right so your
1: body needs to ensure that it's safe for your body right
0: right and if you think about it it's pretty amazing that you can get blood transfusions and on the vast majority of times nothing happens you just get the blood transfusion and you're fine you know i'm
1: always skeptical too this is somebody else's blood, like you said, right. that's, you know, going to be in my body. And right. Stuff.
0: And I think it's really hard for parents because they're looking yeah. at their little baby and somebody says, oh, your five-year-old has pneumonia, we've got to give a blood transfusion. And you're thinking, well, why don't you use my blood? Right. Or dad's blood, or my auntie's blood, or something like that, which could be possible.
1: I was going to (laughs) ask.
0: But that's called directed donor blood, and two things about it. One is your relative, even the mother or father, may not be compatible for the baby, and even less likely would be an auntie or something like that. Um, We had a, a young guy who had a very rare blood type and we tested all his relatives, his parents, everybody, and we could not find anyone in his family who wow. would, could be a donor. Wow. So just because they're related to you doesn't, doesn't mean that they mean. could be a blood donor. Okay. So what happens with people with sickle cell disease, they have these antigens. The common ones that are tested for are called C, E, and Kel. Those mm-hmm. are just antigens on the outside of your red blood cells. But if the donor, if you don't have the antigen, so say you're what's called Kel negative, so you don't have that, that antigen mm-hmm. on your red blood cells, and you get a transfusion from somebody who has that antigen, who's Kel positive, mm-hmm. then you would make antigens against Kel. That Kel positive. That kel positive blood. The first time, just like the peanuts, the first time you got a blood transfusion, nothing would happen. It would be the second time you got a blood transfusion that you would have a hemolytic transfusion reaction. Your antibodies would attach to the red cells and your immune system would destroy the red cells releasing hemoglobin into your body, which could damage your kidneys and do a lot of bad things. And so... The other reason why we do phenotyping is that may not happen with every transfusion. I mean, sometimes you have mild transfusion reactions. But the reason why we don't want that to happen is once you've had one transfusion reaction, you're three times more likely to make antibodies and have more transfusion reactions. So some people feel if you can prevent those transfusion reactions from happening initially, you're less likely to have transfusions in the future. Which
1: is why it's important to get
0: phenotypically matched. Right. As right.
1: opposed to, I just guess,
0: regular blood Cross and
1: type. Regular cross and type?
0: Yeah, regular type and cross. Type so, and cross. <laughs> so, like, if I got a blood transfusion, they would just go ABO, RH, they match, and...
1: And those would be the only markers.
0: That would be the only thing. Everybody gets that. So then I would get that blood transfusion, and I'd probably be fine, but... Most people only get one blood transfusion in their life. Like, I've never had a blood transfusion. What?
1: You haven't?
0: Why would I have a blood transfusion? Unless you're, like, in a car accident or whatever. Think, so yeah, wow. most people get one if they're having heart surgery Whoa. or something like that. Yeah. But most people, they never get another transfusion. And while we're talking about blood for people with sickle cell disease is really expensive. Really? Oh, really. I so, mean, why
1: wouldn't it be? <laughs> <laughs> so if
0: you do the more antibodies you have and you have to get antigen negative blood, so a normal unit of blood is probably maybe $350, 400 something like that. One unit? One wow. normal unit of blood. But for a special unit you know, for sickle cell disease, it could be 1500 2000 or more depending on how rare it was. So that's one of the I things. I mean,
1: only the best for us. Yes, so. <laughs> only the best. You get the best
0: blood. And the thing is, if you get a simple transfusion, maybe you're getting two units, three mm-hmm. units, but in an exchange transfusion, you might get six oh,
1: okay. in
0: order to get rid of all that. Wow. Because if you think about it, as you're adding blood, the percent of sickle cell goes down. So if you want it to go really low, you have to exchange like almost the person's whole blood. Right, right. So if the blood costs $2000 a unit and you're getting 6 of them every month, that runs into money. It's a big business. It's like billions of billions of dollars. Hmm. And it's, it is wow. it is a business. It's not for nothing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's a whole nother topic.
0: That right is there. a whole other topic.
1: <laughs> so moving on, I guess I heard that between hydroxyurea and getting transfused, transfusion was more effective, but it was also higher risks associated with getting transfused. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: The side effects of getting a blood transfusion are definitely higher than hydroxyurea. Okay. So all the things that we've been talking about right. can happen with someone during a blood transfusion. Because you know, I
1: know um, patients are kind of given the choice. I know mm-hmm. I've been given the choice of either being chronically transfused right. or going on hydroxyurea. So you know, weighing out my options, I mm-hmm. just what is the best usually for people?
0: Right. So. All the things we've been talking about about blood transfusions are complications. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you make an antibody against blood or you have a... That's forever. So you, antibodies, they can become undetectable so you don't realize someone has an antibody. But they're there all the time for the rest of your life. They're not going to go wow. away. Okay. So if you have multiple antibodies to blood because you weren't getting phenotyped or genotypically matched blood you say you have five antibodies or three even maybe or one that's really rare then you cannot be transfused anymore
1: right
0: or the blood would take so long to get that by the time you got it it would be too late or if you were getting transfused every month Maybe one month they'd find one unit, the next month they'd find two, whatever. But that doesn't go away. Those things are unusual, but that's a complication of having a transfusion. And you can have transfusion reactions. There's the remote possibility of having an infection. So those are basically the problems with blood transfusion. And you have to come in every month and you have to get type and cross the day before. It's a two-day thing.
1: Right.
0: So with hydroxyurea, hydroxyurea can be looked at as something that could prevent transfusion. So if you start a three-year-old or some five-year-old kid on hydroxyurea, the chances of them, it's not 100%, but they're less likely to have blood transfusions throughout their life if they are taking their hydroxyurea every day. And the side effects of hydroxyurea basically have to do with your blood count. So you have to come in every couple of months or on schedule to make sure that your white count isn't too low, your platelet count isn't too low, um, or your actual hemoglobin isn't too low. And if that happens, all you have to do is stop taking the hydroxyurea and everything goes back up to your baseline. So it's not permanent. The other side effects to hydroxyurea is in males, it decreases your sperm count. So you're somewhat less fertile than you would be if you weren't taking hydroxyurea but again that goes away if you stop taking hydroxyurea and technically you're really not supposed to be fathering children or getting pregnant if you have hydro- hydroxy- if you're on hydroxyurea. Yeah. hydroxyurea so that would be maybe considered another side effect if you were planning a family you might not want to be on hydroxyurea although there have been a number of pregnancies where people didn't realize they were pregnant and they were on hydroxyurea and probably stopped and there wasn't a problem with with it's the babies baby. at all okay so the thing is with hydroxyurea it increases your fetal hemoglobin and, and decreases your y count does a few other things which isn't as effective as bringing your hemoglobin down, your hemoglobin S down or to 30% right. or something like that. So the other thing it would be that there are people where they are taking their hydroxyurea and it just doesn't work that well. Their fetal hemoglobin is 10% or 15 and it really should be around 20 or so to be as effective as it possibly could. So in those patients might be better to be on transfusions. It also depends on why you're on it. So, for instance, people with stroke risk, little kids with stroke risk, they've shown that you can wean them Certain kids who meet certain criteria, you can wean them off of transfusions onto hydroxyurea, and their stroke risk doesn't go up. They can take those children off of transfusions. Okay.
1: So, so it's really, I guess... Um... I feel like hydroxyurea is really the method of increasing your fetal hemoglobin right. while, while uh, getting transfused is decreasing your
0: S. Your sickle hemoglobin. Your sickle right. hemoglobin. Right. Okay. So, for instance, if you're on hydroxyurea and your fetal hemoglobin is 20%, that still means 80% or so of your blood is all S- sickle cell, S- cell blood. Yeah. Whereas if you're on transfusions and your hemoglobin your sickle hemoglobin is 30%, that means 70% of your blood is not going to sickle. It's normal. Right. So there's a big difference between the two.
1: It really should be considered, I guess, on a case-to-case. Um,
0: right. It depends on what... why. I guess
1: there's no, uh, sorry, uh, there's no... I'm sorry. There's no blanket answer for no. all sickle cell patients.
0: No. It, like everything else, it depends on why you're taking it. So okay. if you've had two episodes or one episode of severe acute chest syndrome and your doctor says, you know... I'm worried about you. You, I think you should be on hydroxyurea. That's different than going over to blood transfusions. Okay. Which someone might say, you're on hydroxyurea, you're still having acute chest syndrome twice a year, three times a year, and the last time was really, really bad. Maybe you should be on blood transfusions.
1: Okay, got it. So this brings me to my very last question. I know that there are groups of patients and maybe you might've already answered this with the hydroxyurea question, but there are groups of patients who do not get transfused on, you know, for their own personal reasons or for religious reasons. So are there any other alternatives other than hydroxyurea, which Is that even an alternative Mm -hmm. to blood transfusions? And if so, how do they compare with each other?
0: There's nothing really for chronic blood transfusions. So if you don't want to get transfusions and your doctor says, well, I think you should be on transfusions every month, there's really no alternative for that. Mm. But if you were having an acute episode and say you had... Or
1: like a one-time thing. A one-time thing and you had
0: really bad acute chest syndrome and you had six antibodies, and there was no way to get blood for you, there is a hemoglobin substitute. So this has only been used a handful of times in people with sickle cell disease. Um, In the past, they've been extremely dangerous. So the side effects of getting just plain hemoglobin is not good. You could die from it, actually. But now they've manufactured a hemoglobin substitute, that's probably safer, although it hasn't been given to a lot of people, so that's not a for sure thing. But in a compassionate use, you might be able to get these hemoglobin substitutes. The problem with sickle cell is you're really, really sick when you need to get a transfusion, and this isn't something that could be done in 24 hours or 48 hours or something like that. The hemoglobin
1: um, replacement,
0: right? The okay. hemoglobin replacement. Again, the, with that, you don't need to be type and crossed or anything because it's just the hemoglobin. Incidentally, it's cow hemoglobin. Cow. <laughs> cow oh, hemoglobin. It's oh, not oh, okay. So they have <laughs> they have these special cows that are. Like in sterile environments, and they're probably the most pampered cows in the whole world. Oh, yes. um, and they just get phlebotomized. They take wow. their blood, and because their hemoglobin is the same as our hemoglobin. Whoa, that's crazy. so inside the red blood cell, or the hemoglobin. The hemoglobin is hemoglobin. Yeah. You know, if you're a lizard, it's different. But so
1: cow hemoglobin <laughs> is, is a, exactly, exactly the,
0: same the same as our hemoglobin. Or and, so close that so you can't tell the difference.
1: Are there any other animals do you know
0: probably horses maybe other Whoa. Big, well you'd have to have a big animal you yeah. couldn't use chipmunks or something oh. like that. <laughs> but so cows you know they're easy to take care of they're happy campers and they don't mind sitting in a barn all day so those are the easiest place to get hemoglobin in the future it might be more reasonable to have the hemoglobin available like that. They're also using DNA to make, manufacture hemoglobin in a test tube. Mm -hmm. So people are looking at that as well, to manufacture hemoglobin to be used for transfusion. Again, would have to undergo some process so that it protected you from the, the free hemoglobin. You can't have free unbound hemoglobin floating around in your body because that would be make you really really sick okay so practically speaking there's no real alternative to blood transfusion if you need one and blood transfusions in spite of everything they're really safe blood transfusions are extremely safe they've been given to thousands upon thousands of people save lots of lives yeah so they're very safe, nice to have a blood transfusion from somebody who knows something about sickle cell disease though yeah, so if you are traveling or whatever, it would be good to have your doctor's phone number or some hematologist that you're familiar with or is familiar with sickle cell disease, and just have the person who's going to transfuse you call them and say, "Does this person have a phenotype? Do we need to give phenotypically matched cells so, or carry that on a?" card with you um has this person ever had a transfusion reaction and how many transfusions have they had in the past etc okay
1: so knowledge is good knowledge is power yes Yes. (laughs) perfect well thanks for being here with me today
0: thank you it was a lot of fun
1: Wow, such great information. I hope you got something out of our discussion. Now, a few housekeeping things before we close out the episode. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only. I'll have Dr. Q give you the disclaimer.
0: It's a big topic, and I think you should talk it over with your physician. You know, every patient is a little bit different. They have different problems. There's different reasons to give transfusions. Your personal doctor knows more about you than anybody else. And so they could give you the best advice as to whether you should be on transfusions or not, or whether maybe hydroxyurea would be a better option or some other treatment. As always, you can find
1: our educational content on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, sometimes YouTube at Sickle Cell 101. So make sure you follow all those platforms to stay updated. And that's it. Thanks for listening once again and catch you next time.